And this morning we're looking at Luke chapter 12, uh, verse 35 through verse 48. Luke chapter 12, verse 35. Once again, listen now to the reading of God's holy word. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so... Blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward? whom his master will make ruler over his household, to give them their portion of food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and be drunk, The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in two, and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will, and did not prepare himself, or do according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know, yet committed things deserving of stripes, shall be beaten with few. For everyone... For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. Seek the Lord's blessing on this, his word. O Lord God in heaven, how we rejoice and give thanks to you for the great gift that you've given to us in your holy word. It is our only infallible rule for faith and life. And as we come to this passage, we do pray, Lord, that you would, by your Spirit, give us understanding and insight, and that as your Word goes forth in the power of the Spirit, that it would find within our hearts that rich, fertile soil that brings about a great and abundant fruit for your glory. And so we ask for your blessing now upon your Holy Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be prepared has long been the motto of the Boy Scouts. But it's certainly good advice, not just for boys, but for everyone to be prepared. See, every day things happen that we didn't plan or expect, and whether being prepared means you have uh, batteries in the flashlight or a generator that's ready to go or a, a first aid kit in the car, being prepared is important. Indeed, it could even be the difference between life and death. But of course, most people don't live their lives preparing for the unexpected. 
Most people get caught up in the day-to-day activities of life, and they only think about making preparation when there is some kind of imminent threat, like a a storm, a hurricane, or, or something. But even then, some people never bother to prepare for what may or may not come. And so, of course, if there is a prediction of a bad uh, hurricane coming uh, and some people don't prepare, well, if nothing happens, then they haven't lost anything and they feel vindicated. Ah, see, I didn't have to leave town. I didn't have to board everything up. But when something does happen, of course, we know those who are least prepared are the ones who suffer the most for their lack of due diligence. And so really the lesson then is to that it's better to be prepared when nothing happens than to be unprepared for when something does happen. But of course it's not only important to be prepared for unexpected natural disasters, it's even more critical to be prepared spiritually. Whether it's for the day coming for each one of us when we will breathe our last breath on this earth, Or the great day of glory when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. We're prepared for these things when we keep watch with great anticipation for the return of Christ. And when we strive to be faithful doing what Christ has called us to do until our death or until His return. Now certainly for the unbeliever, that is for the person who hasn't trusted in Christ alone for salvation, well, they're going to be unprepared for both of these events if they persist in rejecting the gospel. But it's possible that even those who at least outwardly profess the name of Christ, that they could be caught off guard and found unprepared. As we know, the cares and the concerns of this life can uh, be great distractions that draw our attention away from preparing ourselves spiritually for what's to certainly come. If we're not being watchful for Christ's return, and if we're not being faithful with what He has called us to do, well then we are in great danger. And this is what Jesus challenges in our passage this morning as he, as he charges His disciples to be watchful and faithful servants. And so in verse 35 and 36, He begins this way with this somewhat of a mini parable. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for the Master when He will return from the wedding. Now the picture that Jesus is painting here is, is, not, is of a master who's gone off to a wedding feast and he's left all his uh, servants behind. Now in those days a wedding feast wasn't just one afternoon or one evening, but it could go on for, for several days. And so it was uncertain when the master would return. But the servants were to be ready at all times, night and day, for the return of the master. And when Jesus says, let your waist be girded, this refers to having their long robes. Of course, they, they all tend to wear those really long robes. You have your robes tucked in uh, into your belts so that you could then quickly and easily run without tripping. Right? Imagine trying to have a long robe on and try running. Well, it wouldn't be too successful. So you would gird yourself by lifting up the robe and, and tucking it into your belt. Well, likewise, the lamps were to be kept lit. 
Again, so that the master wouldn't stumble in the dark when he arrived. In fact, oftentimes uh, what would happen is when they heard that the, the master was approaching, they would run out to him with their lamps and then walk with him on the way back to the uh, on the rest of the way back to the to the house but here they just need to be ready to open the door when the master arrives home right? they shouldn't leave him uh, out standing in the cold or exposed to the various uh, variety of dangers of the night they should always be ready to receive him when he comes home well jesus is going to tie this parable to his second coming, challenging his disciples that they should be watchful and alert for when he comes again. But, of course, now Jesus hasn't left them yet. Right? He hasn't even finished with his first coming. There's still much for him to do. So why is he now warning them about uh, to be watchful for his second coming? Well, first, because earlier in, in Luke's Gospel, uh, Luke, or Jesus has uh, steadfastly set his face toward Jerusalem. And he's told his disciples that they're on their way to Jerusalem, and there he is going to be put to death. And so here he's already preparing them for the time when he's not going to be with them. Now, secondly, though, Jesus knows that if his disciples are constantly ready and, and alert for his return even now, then it will demonstrate that the focus of their hearts and their minds is on Him and, and not on themselves. And so He's challenging them that even when He's no longer present among them physically, that they ought to constantly be looking to Him to provide for them, to care for them, and to strengthen them. And so their eyes must continuously and steadfastly be fixed on Jesus. Well, this then is the challenge for us here. Indeed, brothers and sisters, where is your focus? Where is your focus? Are your eyes constantly fixed on Jesus? And this reminds us, of course, of the the key lesson that keeps uh, coming up here in, in Luke 12, that there is more to our existence than just what we have in this life. Indeed, our purpose and goal as followers of Christ is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And forever begins right now. But the challenge is that there are all these distractions that will pull our attention and divert our eyes off of Christ and onto something else. Now that something else can certainly be something that's sinful. Maybe we're being carried away by various lustful desires or seeking after riches or our own glory. But that something else can also be neutral or even something that's actually good that we sinfully place in front of our pursuit of Christ and His glory. This could mean things such as our work, maybe our families, even ministry in the church can all become idols that we place before us in our service to Christ. And so we must keep that focus always on Christ. Of course, what makes this challenge even greater is that the people of God have now been waiting for over 2,000 years for Christ to return. 
And of course, the more time that passes, it's easier to forget and even perhaps begin to doubt the promise that Jesus made that he would one day return. Well, we know that this was even a struggle, not just for us, but even in the early church. See, people were mocking the Christians because they were waiting for Christ's return and he hadn't appeared yet. And this was only when it had been uh, only 40 years since his ascension. Uh, Peter writes about this in, in 2 Peter 3. He says, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. It basically, they say, look, everything's just kind of continuing on. Jesus said he's coming back. Well, where is he? Right? That was only, again, maybe 30 to 40 years. We've been waiting now 2,000 years. But Jesus is challenging here that we must be ready. We must continue to keep our eyes focused upon Him in our lives and in the pursuits of our hearts no matter how long we have to wait. We must keep watch vigilantly because we know He is coming. And even if His coming seems to us to be delayed, we must believe that God has appointed the perfect time for Christ's return. And, of course, if He doesn't return in our lifetime, well, then we must still be prepared for when our own appointed end comes and we meet our Creator face to face. And so again, the question is, are you living your life now ready to meet Jesus? Well, Jesus continues this illustration. He notes in an amazing reward in store for these watchful servants. In verse 37, uh, the master girds himself and invites the servants to sit down at a table that he has prepared, where he's actually going to serve them. Now this would have been very shocking to uh, those who first heard this, because it was totally unheard of that a master would serve his servants. But this is exactly the reward and the promise that Jesus has in store for his people. Twice in verse 37 and then again in verse 38, Jesus says these watchful servants are blessed. And truly they are blessed if the master is going to actually serve them. They're going to be put in a position of honor. And of course the truth Jesus is showing here is is that when he comes... He'll so bless His watchful servants that He, the Master, will serve His people. We know as David sings in Psalm 23 that the Lord, who is our shepherd, that He has prepared a table uh, for us in His house where we will dwell forever. And here Jesus is saying that He is going to be there. He is going to both be the host at that meal but He's also going to be the servant serving us. And shocking as this may be in the world's mind, of course we know that it's nothing new, at least for Jesus. Because Jesus, the Son of God, came to serve when He came the first time. 
Later in Luke's Gospel, in Luke 22, Jesus will declare to His disciples, Yet I am among you as the one who serves. And serve He did. Even to the point of the painful and shameful death on the cross for our sins. And as we'll see, this gives us an example that we're to be servants as well. Serving others, and especially serving the one who first served us with grace and mercy that we did not deserve. And so whenever Christ returns, we're called to be watchful with our eyes and our hearts fixed upon Him. But there's a lingering question that Jesus anticipates His, his disciples may ask. Well, when will He return? In verse 39, Jesus speaks about a, a homeowner. And he's basically, if the, if the homeowner, the master of the house, if he knew when the thief was coming, well, of course, he could be prepared for it and he could keep the thief from breaking in. But that's the problem. The thief doesn't call up ahead of time and say, hey, I'm coming at 12 after midnight to break into your house and steal whatever you have. No, we don't know when the thief will come. And so the homeowner then has to always be prepared and constantly on watch for thieves. Many of us do this by just locking locking the doors and maybe got a security system. That's part of being prepared. Well, Jesus now points this illustration to the disciples in verse 40. Verse 40, he says, Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Now, Jesus' mention here of the Son of Man is uh, is significant, as that would remind his disciples of the Messianic prophecy of Daniel 7, where one like the Son of Man received from the Ancient of Days dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the people's nations and men of every language might serve Him. Uh, His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And so this messianic prophecy of of the Son of Man, the Messiah, coming uh, to establish His kingdom, and that is a picture of what is going to happen when Christ returns? And again, Jesus repeatedly used this designation, Son of Man, to refer to Himself. And so He's speaking about Himself here. And it would be His coming that they were to anticipate. His coming in glory and power when He would receive these things from the Father. But it will come at a time that they and we don't expect. And truly no one knows the day or the hour. We know many have tried to predict, but those predictions have always failed. And so again, the struggle we face is that it's been a long time and still there has not been the return of Christ. Beloved of God, as time passes, we actually ought to be all the more diligent to be watchful because we know that the time is drawing even nearer than when it was for the time of the disciples. But there's one caution about this watching and waiting for the return of Jesus. Heard that said that we shouldn't be so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly good. That even though our hearts and our minds are to be focused upon Christ as we anticipate His return, well, we need to acknowledge that He's given us work to do. 
work to do while we watch and while we wait and while we wait. And so to balance this out, Jesus now challenges his disciples that not only are they to be vigilantly watchful, but they also must be faithful in doing what he's called them to do. And he gives this challenge in response to a curious question by Peter. In verse 41, Peter asks, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? In other words, who are you talking to? Now, why would Peter ask this? Well, you see, if Jesus was speaking generally to all the people, well, then Peter might assume that others aren't prepared, but the disciples are, and so they're, they're okay. But if Jesus is speaking to his disciples... And we know since verse 22 he has been, well then it would imply that there may be some of Jesus' own disciples who won't be watchful and who won't be faithful. And indeed we know there will be. And some uh, take Peter's question though another way. They say that by us, that Peter's referring specifically to the twelve, that is those who would be commissioned by Jesus as the apostles, and the leaders of the early church. And then all the people refers to all the other disciples. Well, that's certainly very possible, and especially as we note uh, the parable that follows, that Jesus may be speaking directly to the twelve, and thus by extension to those leaders in the church even today. The pastors and the elders who give the portions of food to the people. Now many commentators have taken this parable then to primarily be focused on these leaders, but it doesn't have to be exclusively so. Now certainly while uh, leaders in the church have been called by God to serve His church in particular offices with particular duties, we also know that all of Christ's disciples, all who call upon Him in faith and profess His name, have been called to serve and minister in a general way, serving others and serving Christ in all that they do. And so though there may be a special challenge here to the officers of the church, the challenge also can be easily applied to everyone, every one of us. And now Jesus doesn't answer Peter's question directly. He answers with another parable, as if to say, look, don't worry about who, just be concerned with whether you're ready and whether you're being faithful. Verse 42 Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? See, the master has given the steward, that is, the the steward was the chief servant, the the, the servant above, supervising all the other servants. He gave him a particular task to accomplish, to oversee and care for the rest of the servants. And of course the master is expecting that this steward will be both faithful and wise. That is, that he'll actually carry out the task faithfully and that he will deal fairly and justly with the other servants. Well, Jesus goes on to note that the servant who's found faithfully doing this when the master returns will be greatly blessed, even receiving a promotion, as we see in verse 44. How should we understand this? Well, again, Jesus is the master. And whether the steward represents the leaders of the church or the, just the people of the church, all disciples of Jesus, well, Jesus has given each of us many things to do. 
we're called to carry forth the gospel to the corners of the earth. We're called to be faithful witnesses wherever God uh, has placed us. We're called to live holy and righteous lives for the glory of God. We're called to love Him and to love one another. We're called to serve and minister to those who are in need. We're called to be doing Christians. That is, Christians who do something. Not Christians that just sit back and talk. But we're called to be doing Christians. To show our love. To show our gratitude. To show our faithfulness toward Him who has been most faithful to us. We're to faithfully be doing all that He's called us to do. Right up until the very end. But there's a danger. And Jesus warns about it in verse 45. If that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, well then there's likely to be trouble. The servant may then take the opportunity while the master is gone to pursue his own pleasures. And of course this is the danger to our seeking to be faithful. Right? We may be tempted uh, to use uh, the Lord's delay in coming to us. Right? We, we're, we're waiting for Jesus to return. He hasn't returned yet. Well, then we're going to be more open to this temptation to live our lives for ourselves and seeking our own pleasure. Right? When the, the cat's away, the mice will play. And this was, of course, a problem even in the early church. The Apostle Paul addressed this kind of thing uh, in the, the church in Thessalonica. In 2 Thessalonians 3, Paul says, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. You see, there were, as their people were awaiting the return of Christ, they thought it was going to be imminent, so they said, well, I'm not going to bother working. And they were actually taking advantage of the hospitality of others. They weren't working, they weren't living the holy and disciplined lives that they were expected to live as, as those who believe the gospel in, in Jesus Christ. They were slacking off in their duties and their responsibilities. They were being lazy and unproductive. But Jesus warns of something actually worse than just slacking off. As he notes this particular servant, not only slacked off, but actually pursued evil. And he became abusive and self-indulgent. And since the master was away, he was pridefully consumed with the authority that the master had given to him. And he looked down on everyone else and he became a tyrant, even beating the other servants. He broke into the master's wine cellar and stole what was not his and he became drunk on the wine. He had no regard for the master or what belonged to him. He was living a life of lawlessness. Well, of course, this is the temptation that can assault anyone, unbeliever or believer. Right Again, for the unbeliever, it's expected that they're going to live selfishly and, and without regard to God and His law. You see, the same temptation is there even for those who at least outwardly profess faith in Jesus Christ. And yet they give no evidence of a change in how they live their lives. 
They're still living for themselves and indulging in the same sins, thinking that because they walked down an aisle or, or came forward at a church service and said some little prayer that they're okay and they're covered. They don't have to worry about anything. But that's an abuse of the grace of God. But to be diligent in our sanctification, in our putting off of the old nature of sin and death and putting on the new way of living in Christ Jesus. Those who have an outward profession and yet aren't faithful to do and live as Christ has called them to live are in great danger. And sadly, the world is filled with many. They're in danger because the Master is going to return. And He's going to return at a time when they do not expect. And so He'll catch them off guard. And when He comes... How will he find them? Well, Jesus says those not faithful will be judged with the most severe judgment, as we see in verse 46. The master will come, he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. How graphic is that? And yet, this isn't an imprecatory psalm in the Old Testament. This is Jesus saying this. Jesus is making this warning. He's the master. And He's warning His disciples, He's warning us to be ready, to be alert, to keep watch, and to be faithful. But then He draws another lesson in verse 47 and 48. He says, That servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know, yet committed things deserving of stripes, shall be beaten with few. You see, the unfaithful servant wasn't watching, and he wasn't faithful. But he knew the Master was coming. And he knew he'd be, he had been given work to do. And so he had no excuse. But when the Master returned, he was unprepared. He was living his life in his own way. And so his punishment will be great. But for those who didn't know the Master was returning, and those who may have pursued evil not knowing of another way, Jesus says, well, they too will be punished. But not as severely as the one who knew the truth. Well, the first group, the ones who knew the truth, again... This describes those who claim the name of Christ and yet are evil. Forsaking God's law, forsaking holiness and His call to live holy and righteous lives. And it's also those who have heard the gospel and yet have rejected it. And Jesus is very clear for them, the punishment for them because they knew more of the truth will be greater than the second group, who, who, those, and these are those who have never heard the gospel at all. And they didn't claim to know Christ. Yes, they too will be condemned and judged for their sin, but their punishment won't be as great as those who have heard and even proclaimed, and yet were not true believers. Well, the implication even for us is simply... The more you know, the more then will be required of you. 
the second part of verse 48, Jesus says, For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. So we can easily see how this would apply, particularly to the leaders of the church. The pastor to the elders to the deacons. Right? James warns of this of something similar in James three when he warns of a of a he says you know don't let any many of you strive to be teachers because there will be a stricter judgment a stricter judgment for those who teach and so certainly the leaders and the officers of the church should be mindful of this but as we noted before it also applies to to everyone else as well even for all those who are here today. Brothers and sisters, you all know the truth. You know the truth because it's been the truth of the gospel because it's proclaimed to you each week. You've heard that Jesus Christ, our Savior, is going to return again one day. You've heard the gospel. You've heard the way of salvation leading to repentance unto life. You've heard that we're called to be faithful in, in doing what Christ has called you to called us to do and so you can't claim ignorance on the day of judgment saying to Jesus well I didn't know I didn't know when you were coming of course you didn't know when no one knows when when he was coming claiming your ignorance isn't going to save you the only solution is to even now fix your eyes upon Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. And this is how you'll be prepared. Either for the day of your death or for Christ's return. Be watchful, making Christ and His glory the priority of your lives. And be faithful doing what He's called you to do in His Word. The Apostle Paul sums it up nicely in Romans 14, verse 7 and 8, when he says, For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And truly beloved of God, you are the Lord's if you trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. And if you trust in Him, then as you await the glorious return of Jesus your Savior, be prepared and live your lives as He's called you to live, doing all that you do to the glory of God alone. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks for this great reminder, this challenge of being unprepared. Lord, we pray that No one here will be unprepared. And indeed, even with this message today and this instruction from your word, we have that much more knowledge about the promise of your coming, about how you have called us to live, and how we're to be watchful and faithful in all things. There is no excuse for any of us. 
And so we just praise You and thank You, Lord, that You have revealed these things to us. But we also pray that none of us would be found unprepared, either at the time of Your return or when our time on this earth comes to an end. That we might all have our eyes focused fully, truly, and sincerely upon You, our precious Lord and Savior, who gave Himself that we might have peace and reconciliation with You, that we might have the forgiveness of sins, that we might have the glorious hope of these promises, which will indeed come about. You will return again one day. And we pray, Lord, that You would find us faithful and diligent and busy doing the work which You have called us to do. So that from now until then, Your name would be lifted up and glorified in and through us. So we pray now that Your Spirit would be pressing these things into each of our hearts, drawing us all closer to Yourself as we seek to give glory to You. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.